Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about something that all of us deal with on a daily basis. Something that is... Oh, excuse me. Oh, I got a notification from my news app. I've been following the Olympics, and they're giving me notifications about the Olympics. I guess it's the closing ceremony today. Sorry about that. Let me go ahead and silence this app so that doesn't happen again. Okay, sorry about that. As I was saying, this morning we're going to be talking about something that all of us do... Hmm. What is this one? Looks like my friend Paul sent me something on Instagram. Looks like a funny video of a dog vacuuming the rug, but I'll watch that whenever I get home. Sorry about that. Okay, as I was saying, this morning we're going to be talking about something that all of us deal with... What is it now? Oh, it's a message from my boss, Pastor Chuck, telling me to make sure that I put my phone on airplane mode. All right, let me take care of that really quickly. I better put this away so that doesn't happen again. What were we talking about? I don't remember. Oh, that's it. Distractions. All of us deal with distractions on a daily basis. It's something we're bombarded with, not just in our cell phones, but whenever we pull up a website and we want to read a news article. You can barely make it through the news article because you have advertisements flashing all over the screen, videos that start playing without you pushing the play button, and even in the middle of the text you will see an advertisement trying to distract you. Or if you're like me, you'll walk into the supermarket, you have a post-it note with three or four different things on it, but as you start going up and down the aisles, what happens? You get distracted. You see the little sale sign and you think, oh, Two bags of Lay's for $7? I would be a fool not to save 30 cents right now. And you keep going up and down the aisles and more distractions keep piling up into your cart. But there's many ways of getting distracted, not just through cell phones or through advertisements from those sneaky capitalists. No, I was an elementary school teacher for seven years, and I can tell you the human race has the possibility of being distracted by anything and everything. I had a third grade student named Yuki who one time ignored my entire 30-minute lesson because she had a loose string on her blouse. And that string kept her entertained through the entire lesson. But my favorite distraction as a teacher came from a boy named Derry. Derry didn't have any physical object to distract him. There were no signs. No, what Derry decided he was going to do was imagine that he was this kung fu master. Now, I know he was imagining he was a kung fu master because in the middle of a lesson, he popped down into a kung fu pose... (laughs) And all of us had a good laugh. I was debating showing you the kung fu pose he was in, but I'm worried about the integrity of my pants, so I will not show you exactly what he did. But if we're honest with ourselves, all of us face distractions. And not just when we're going to the supermarket or sitting through a boring English lesson. We experience distractions in our Christian life. And that's exactly what happened to Martha in our story. I mean, Martha started out really well, didn't she? She goes and she welcomes Jesus into her home. The Gospel of John says that Martha and Jesus were really good friends. So I'm just imagining some of the details of what that welcoming looked like. Maybe Martha goes out of her house and greets Jesus in the street and escorts him back. Maybe they kissed each other on the side of a cheek, on the side of the cheek as a sign of affection. And maybe even Martha had a pool of water to help Jesus wash his feet. So she welcomes him into her home, but then what quickly happens to Martha? Well, she is distracted. And this word for distraction is actually a very unique word. It only appears in this passage of the Bible. Nowhere else in the Bible do you see it. 
And what this word means is she was so distracted that she was burdened. I get the picture of Pilgrim from Pilgrim's Progress who has this great big heavy burden of sin on his back. That's what happens to Martha. She has this great big heavy burden weighing her down. She's troubled. She's anxious. anxious, She's helpless. And what does she do? She decides to destroy her relationship. She decides to blame her sister and criticize Jesus Christ. Well, if somebody like Martha, who is close personal friends with Jesus, can get distracted and fall into sin, how much more should you and I be careful about distractions? And this leads us to the first of our two questions this morning. First question, why do disciples get distracted? Now, there's many different ways of potentially answering this question, but I'm going to give you two ideas to think about. Disciples get distracted because disciples start out in immaturity. Whenever you become a Christian or when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you were born into a new life. And let's be honest, babies are many things, but they are not mature. And maturity, or excuse me, immaturity rather, is, is something that's going to lead to distractions. Whenever you get distracted, that's pointing to your immaturity. Picture a young child, maybe, I don't know, a five- or six-year-old boy that's starting out his baseball career, so his parents sign him up for his first season of t-ball. Well, this little boy is all excited. He wakes up on a Saturday morning for his first game. He puts on his uniforms. He gets his cleats on. He gets his glove out from under his bed because he had a rubber band around it trying to get it broken in, and he goes out to his first game. He does his warm-ups with the team. He goes out. The coach puts him out in the outfield, and he is ready for his first game. But then the first batter gets up and cracks the ball into the outfield, and the boy is not paying attention at all. Because there is a grasshopper in the outfield that he's been chasing around the whole time, and the ball lands and he misses the play. Well, that might be cute for the onlookers to see, oh, this little five-year-old boy get distracted so easily. But if we saw that in the major leagues, we would think there was a serious problem with that ball player's maturity. And that's one of the reasons that Martha gets distracted. She's behaving immaturely. She starts out well, doesn't she? But then she doesn't end well. It reminds me also of the disciple of Jesus Christ named Peter. The original 12 disciples, while they're in the boat with, uh, with, with one another, Jesus is on land, and there's a little bit of a storm, and they're getting nervous, and they look out, and they see what they think is a ghost approaching them. But they realize it's not a ghost, it's Jesus Christ. All the other disciples are scared, but Peter steps out in faith and says, Jesus, if that's really you, let me walk on water with you. Well, Jesus bids him to come, so Peter steps out of the boat in faith. Wow, what a great demonstration of Peter's faith. He started out very, very well, something that none of the other disciples did. But what happened to Peter shortly after he gets onto the water? Well, he gets distracted. He sees the waves and the winds. He takes his eyes off of Jesus Christ, and he begins to to sink. Peter was an immature disciple at this point. But thankfully, Peter did not stay an immature disciple. He didn't stay like the little t-ball player that was chasing grasshoppers. No, Peter was able to mature into the all-star major league baseball player. At the end of Peter's life, he gives us insight into how we can go from being immature to being mature. Peter writes this close to his execution. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ is like stepping out of the boat. It's like going out to the street to welcome Jesus Christ in. It's like filling out the registration form to join a t-ball team. But if you want to grow and if you want to mature, Peter says you have to practice these disciplines. You have to add to your life virtue through Jesus Christ. You have to add knowledge through Jesus Christ to your life, ultimately leading you to love and to maturity. If you continually do these things, you will increase. The Christian life is like a journey, but it's an eternal journey, not a temporal journey. In African philosophy... They like to compare the lives of an individual to the day that we experience, and particularly the sun rising, reaching the peak at high noon, and then setting again. They say that whenever the sun first creeps over the horizon, that is like us whenever we are born into the world. We have a little bit of power, a little bit of strength, and a little bit of understanding, but we are still weak, and we need other people to help us out. But as the sun continues to rise throughout the day and we continue to grow into maturity and we become wise, will we reach the pinnacle of our lives? But as the evening approaches, we begin to descend once again. We lose our strength, we lose our knowledge, and then once again we need other people to help us out and depend uh, upon others. When we reach the peak, we can take care of others. At the beginning, at the end, we need people to take care of us. Well, it's a beautiful picture, really, and it helps us understand how our life works in a cycle. But this is quite different from how the Christian life works. The Christian life begins like the sunrise. We begin in immaturity. We need help from other people. But as we begin to ascend, we actually never really reach any peak. We only continue to ascend. We're chasing the ultimate vision of God through this life and into the next life. And supplementing faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and godliness and brotherly affection and love, that is the path to help us reach that ultimate target. So we never have to face any ultimate sunsets, but we're only approaching the eternal noon. Well, we've seen the first way that disciples get distracted. They get distracted because they are immature. And as they start out immature, they're on this journey. And on a journey, you have struggles that you deal with. And the disciples have to struggle with idolatry. This is one of the distractions that they face along the way. Think about Israel's history. One of the most significant events in the entire Bible is the story of the Exodus. God's people are trapped in slavery in Egypt. But God comes and he delivers them. With great signs and wonders, he parts the Red Sea. He lets his people march through and then uses that same instrument to destroy their enemies. And what do they do whenever they're in the wilderness and they don't have any food? Why, God provides bread from heaven to feed them. And what does God do whenever they're thirsty in the wilderness? Well, he gives them water miraculously from a rock. And how do these disciples respond? What do they decide to do? Well, they build a golden calf and begin worshiping an idol. It's something that you have to struggle with as a disciple along this journey. And that's something that Martha is struggling with in this passage She's struggling with idolatry. Now, whenever I was living in Asia, I would see idols uh, quite frequently. You could see them walking down the street, you'd see them in restaurants, and even in people's homes. But one of my favorite encounters with an idol took place when my wife and I were traveling in Nepal. 
Uh, we were touring Kathmandu in the afternoon, and we had hired a tour guide to show us some of the different temples and explain what the statues and what the gods were, how they related to one another. And this is about three or four years after the big earthquake came and uh, hit Nepal. So we're there, and we can see these temples. We see some of the damage that's been done, some of the repairs that are taking place. And they bring us to this one particular statue. And you can't see the statue because there is a construction barrier around it. You can't peek over it. Well, we ask the tour guide, what is behind this particular barrier here? What is this? And he says, oh, that is our god of protection. But he was destroyed during the earthquake. Now, that seems kind of silly to us. Why would you trust a god of protection that cannot protect himself? But honestly, we do the same type of thing in the United States. It's just not with a statue. We think, oh, if we have enough money in the bank account, then we will have protection. Or, oh, if I live in a gated community, if I have these airbags, these safety features, this security system, then I will be protected. Well, what is Martha's idol in this passage? What is she expecting to protect her? Well, it is her ability to serve. She places her act of serving above her love for the Savior. She sees her ability to be a good hostess or not is more important than her relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that this made Martha so anxious. I can just imagine what was going through Martha's head. Maybe she started out listening to Jesus, but then she began to smell something. What's that? Are those the pork chops? Are the pork chops burning? Oh no, if the pork chops burn, Jesus is not going to think I'm a good host. Let me go take care of the pork chops. So she gets up, she goes in the kitchen, she starts fiddling with the pork chops. But then she notices the hummus. Oh no, the hummus is too watery. I better give that a stir. Bartholomew hates watery hummus. He's going to think I'm a terrible host. And then she looks over and she sees a bead of sweat coming down Philip's forehead. Oh no, it's too hot in here. Everybody's going to think I'm a bad disciple. Philip is hot. So I need to go and I need to open all these windows so people think I'm a good host. Well, I, I think Martha was under quite a bit of stress and she was quite burdened by trying to live up to this idol of being seen as a perfect host, of serving other people. And I think this is actually something that our society places on us and particularly our young people. I can't imagine what some of the teenagers and college students must be thinking. Oh no, I have to serve this particular cause or all of my classmates are going to think that I hate the planet. Oh, I have to go out and I have to defend this particular cause or I'm a racist. I have to make sure that I eat at this restaurant or I have to do this or I have to do that or I'm a bad citizen. I think that's quite stressful for our society. And it's quite stressful for Martha. In her frustration, what does she do? Well, she lashes out to her Lord. Lord, don't you care that I'm alone, that I'm serving by myself, that I have been abandoned? The same words that the disciples said to Jesus when he was asleep on the boat during a storm. Lord, don't you care? Well, the thing is, the Lord cares very much for his disciples. He cares so much for his disciples that he wants to frustrate them. He wants to frustrate them when they pursue their idols instead of him. He wants, to have, he wants us to have disciples that are focused. He wants us to be disciples that are focused. Which leads us to our second question. How can, we be, excuse me, how can disciples be focused? So for this question, we're going to consider three possibilities. To be focused disciples, we need to practice proper posture. Now, in the classroom, if I have a kid who's turning around, not looking at the, the lesson, or if I have a kid who's slouching, 
I know that that child is not going to be learning as well as somebody that has proper posture, somebody that's looking in the right direction at least. Well, in this passage, we have an example of what proper disciple posture looks like. And that posture comes from Mary. What is Mary doing in this passage? Well, she is sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, Luke is not telling us where Mary is sitting, so we can understand the spatial layout of the room. It's not like Theophilus was wondering, wait, where was Mary sitting again? I heard she was by the coffee table. Was she really by Jesus' feet? No, he's telling us this not so we understand the layout of the room. He's telling us her posture because she was sitting at the feet of her teacher. You see, Jesus was a rabbi, and anybody that sat at the feet of the rabbi, they were there to learn from that teacher. They submitted themselves to that person's authority and that person's word. Now, this might not seem that spectacular to us living in 2021, but 2,000 years ago, this would have been a huge scandal. The position to sit at the feet of a rabbi, that was reserved only for men in this society. Women were expected to do what Martha was doing, making sure the house was cool, making sure the hummus wasn't watery. But Jesus is breaking down gender barriers of that society. He doesn't take two sexes and split them up into 24 different genders. No, he takes two genders and he unites them in himself and he makes them one. Jesus Christ is radical in doing this. And people would have been surprised at the scandal that took place. But here Jesus is saying, anyone is welcome to be my disciple. In Jesus Christ, there is neither male, there is neither female, there is only one. You can also learn from Mary's posture by comparing her posture to that of her sisters. Well, Martha is seen standing in opposition to Jesus Christ, and Martha is seen running around the house trying to fix every little detail. And how does Martha feel? Well, she is overwhelmed, she is burdened, and she does not find peace. Compare that to her sister Mary. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And what happens to Mary? Well, she receives the direct praise of Jesus Christ. Mark Twain said that he could survive two months on a good compliment. That's all that he needed to go for two months of work. It was a good compliment. And here Mary gets a compliment directly from her Lord. I think this is an allegorical picture of the gospel, isn't it? Whenever we run around like Martha trying to accomplish all of these different things, Well, it just leaves us burdened, frustrated, and empty. But whenever we come before Jesus Christ and we sit at his feet, well, we receive his praise and we receive his blessing. So if we desire to be focused disciples, we must practice proper posture like Mary. The second thing that we need to do is we need to choose healthy food if we want to be focused disciples. So a student that goes to school, having eaten a big bowl of Cocoa Puffs, will probably not perform as well as a student that has eaten a hearty and nutritious breakfast. Well, in this passage, it doesn't look like food is really mentioned, but it's actually one of the underlying themes. You see, the ESV, or the translation that was read this morning, says that Martha was busy with much service. I believe the NIV says that she was busy making preparations. That concept of making preparations, or the word for service, can also be translated as deacon. And deacon means waiting tables or preparing food. Uh, We have deacons here at the church, and one of their primary roles is to make sure that we have the elements ready for the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine. 
Another thing that they do is they help provide food for people who are in need or are going through a very stressful situation at home, like having a new baby. They help organize a food train to supply the need for the church. So Martha is acting as one of the very first deacons of the church. But what happens to her? She takes her, her uh, act of being a deacon or a deaconess, and she elevates that above her love for the Lord. Jesus Christ says that Mary has chosen that which is the good portion, which is another reference to food. She's chosen the finest meal. Now, this is actually a very subtle reference to a passage in Deuteronomy 8. Now, I'm assuming that most of us are not familiar with Deuteronomy 8 off the top of our heads, but we have all seen this particular verse already in the Gospel of Luke. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh, or the Lord. Whenever Jesus is in the wilderness, he's been fasting and he's doing battle with the devil. Well, the devil wants him to turn rocks into bread, and Jesus quotes this passage of scripture. What he's doing is he's saying, it's not about physical bread. It's not about our physical hunger. It's more about having our spiritual hunger satisfied. And this passage plays that out. We get to see exactly what that looks like. That Mary was not worried about the physical food. She was worried about her spiritual food. Uh, I go to the gym uh, a couple times a week, and I like to listen to podcasts and audiobooks whenever I'm exercising. And this past week, I was listening to a podcast, and it was talking, or there was an interview of somebody from North Korea. I believe her name is Yeonmi Park. Uh, forgive me if I've said that wrong, but uh, Miss Park was born in North Korea, which is known as the Hermit Kingdom. And she was sheltered from all sorts of stuff. She never had a full stomach and didn't know what it was like to be free. Well, Ms. Park eventually escaped and found herself living in South Korea, and she was blown away by all the things she had never heard about and never experienced. She'd never even seen a trash can, because the idea of excess simply doesn't exist where she came from. So she was completely blown away by everything she was experiencing in South Korea. And in South Korea, they have some of the best food in the world. You think Chick-fil-A or KFC is good fried chicken? You haven't had anything until you have gone to South Korea and had their fried chicken. Well, Ms. Park had random jobs as she was just getting started living in a free society. And you know what she did at the week, uh, on her nights off and on the weekends? Well, she didn't go to the fried chicken joints or even try kimchi pancakes. No, she would go home and she would study. She would teach herself how to read, and she was preparing to go to university. And you know what? She would study so much, she tried to teach herself how to read so hard that she would actually forget to eat meals. Now, I don't think Miss Park is a Christian, but this pursuit of knowledge is a great picture of what's taking place whenever we think of Deuteronomy 8 and this story with Mary. Miss Park completely set aside the fried chicken, the kimchi pancakes, and she pursued something greater than physical food. And that is what this passage is calling us to do. It's calling us to forsake the useless food of this world and pursue our spiritual food, the bread of heaven. Well, if we want to be focused disciples, we need to practice proper posture, we need to choose healthy food, and finally, we need to pursue the diploma. In this passage, Jesus says that there is only one thing that is necessary. There's only one thing that will not be taken away. Remember, Martha is running around the house trying to take care of all of these different random things. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's only one thing 
that is necessary. And if you pursue anything else above that one thing, you are being distracted. You are chasing after an idol. There's only one thing that you ought to be focusing on. There's only one thing that's necessary, only one thing that will not be taken away. Now, there is actually not a clear antecedent in this passage. It's a little bit obscure. What is Jesus talking about? Well, in the most literal and immediate sense, I believe Jesus is answering Martha's question. Remember, or request rather. Remember, Martha says to Jesus, make my sister get up and help me serve. And Jesus is telling Martha, no, I'm not going to make your sister do that because Martha has chosen a healthy meal. She's chosen the word that satisfies. I'm not going to make her get up from this great, amazing Thanksgiving feast to go have candy bars and chips with you. No, I'm going to let her sit right here and enjoy this fine meal. So in the most immediate sense, Jesus is saying, no, Martha is protected. She's chosen what's wise. I'm not taking that away from her. But I think Jesus is actually hinting at something on a grander grander level, on a spiritual level. I think he's saying that there's something that all Christians ought to pursue above everything else. And if we put anything in this particular item's place, well, it becomes a distraction. And it becomes an idol that cannot protect us from anything. And what is that one thing that Jesus is talking about? What is that one thing that is necessary? Well, I don't believe that it is a thing at all. I believe that it is a person. I believe that person is Jesus Christ. He is the one thing that is necessary. He is the one thing that will never ultimately be taken away from us. Yes, he was taken away from his disciples when he went to the cross, but he came back in newness of life with a resurrected body, and we will never be separated from him again. Jesus Christ is called the treasure that is worth more than anything we could ever own in this world, and we are called to give up all of our possessions and pursue that treasure. Jesus Christ is called the pearl of great value, more valuable than any gem that exists on this world, and we are called to forsake all of our wealth and pursue that gem. And I suggest that Jesus Christ is our diploma. He is what we are working for as disciples, which can also be translated as students. And whenever we reach that ultimate diploma, whenever we enter into eternal life, that is not going to be the end of anything. That is going to be the beginning of our real, mature Christian lives. At that moment, we are going to be seeing Jesus face to face. And all of our little distractions are going to melt away. All of the idols in our hearts are going to crumble into rubble. We will see him and we will not be ashamed because we will be like him. We will be standing there in our graduation robes. He is going to take his stole of distinction and place it around our shoulders. We will be standing next to him no longer as disciples. We will stand next to him as friends. We will not be standing next to him any longer as servants. We will be standing next to him as brothers and sisters. There's only one way to avoid distractions. There's only one way to have disciples that are focused, and that is to look upon Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you for this time that we can come into your house. We confess that we are very immature at times, that we are easily distracted, 
and that we have idols in our hearts. We want to conform to society's standards and norms. We want people to like us, and we choose that which is not good food. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us renewed focus through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to have posture like Mary, where we can sit before the feet of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll help us to choose that which is the good portion, the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to pursue our diploma, not just simply an entrance into eternal life, but the start of our mature Christian lives. I pray for your blessing to be upon us and the rest of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.